morning, Miles City. How are all of you? Man, you guys have got to come and teach first service how to do that. It was like nothing. There was no response from them. They were up earlier. They may not have had coffee yet. But uh, thank you guys for making us part of your Sunday. If you're watching online, thank you for watching online. But uh, I'm so excited to be here today. If you don't know me, my name is John Bowers, and I am a church planting apprentice. And the church that I'm going to plant is actually another location of Miles City. And lots of times when I come here, people have questions about that, and they want to know where it is and who's going to be part of it and what's taking place. So in order to kind of consolidate all those questions, we have an event coming up on February 18th, so you can mark your calendars if you like. It's going to be at 5 o'clock at our South Lion location, and we're going to talk all about what this third location is going to look like, where it's going to be. And if you have anybody that lives north of 96 in that Wixom area, Milford, uh, Wald Lake, and you know that they don't have a home church, invite them as well, because that's where we're planning to plant. Um, So if you know somebody that doesn't have a home church, invite them to kind of get the rundown of what's going on in their neighborhood, hopefully in 2025. Welcome to all of you today. I see a lot of people wearing lion stuff. Is there something significant going on with the lions today? Or, or okay, you guys, this is very like. Are you excited or not? Like, are we happy or? I'm sure lions fans. We have had years of learned behavior to be very cautious, cautiously optimistic, right? It's like, hey, don't say anything weird. Don't make sure you wear the same hat. Uh, uh, somebody, I think. Sean in the back, who does our camera stuff, uh, has been wearing the same lion sweatshirt three weeks in a row. So yeah, superstitions have already started. Um, but yeah, we've been going through the book of John. How many of you guys have been uh, excited to go through this book with us and blessed by what you've seen so far? Yeah, it's been awesome. And we've been looking at the book of John and we've been seeing lots of things. But one thing that really stands out to me is all these relationships that Jesus has. He has a relationship with his disciples, with the Pharisees, uh, with Mary and Martha, with all these different people. And today we want to take a look at some relationships in Jesus' life and see what he brought to those relationships and ask ourselves, am I following his example in these things? Am I bringing these things to my relationships? You know, relationships are awesome. We all have them in our lives. Some of them are marital relationships. Some of them are friendships. Some of them are parental relationships or sibling relationships. Um, There was a poll that was taken, and it said 75% of Americans want relationships in their life. I don't know what's going on with the other 25%. Um, Maybe they're taking a break. I don't know. That's something that people do. I'm sure they'll get back in the game at some point. But 75% of people want relationships in their life. We all know the benefit of relationships. It's been well documented that people that are in healthy relationships, they have less physical and mental stress. They have a greater sense of self-worth. There are tremendous benefits to being involved in a healthy relationship. But we all know that not every relationship is healthy. Not every relationship goes the way we plan. Sometimes people hurt us, and they do it in really bad ways. And today we're going to look at Jesus dealing with a relationship like that. Somebody who betrays him. Somebody who does him wrong. What does he bring to the relationship? How does he handle that situation? That's what we want to take a look at today as we continue our study in the book of John. But before we do that, let's just take a second and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for everyone in this room today, everyone watching online, Lord. Nobody's here by accident, Lord. You have something to give to each of us from your word today. And Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that your spirit would begin to work in our hearts and minds so that when we hear what we need to hear, Lord, we can be moved to act on it. Lord, I just pray that you would bless our time together in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. All right, so John, we're going to be in chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 18, and it feels a little weird because we're coming in kind of mid-thought. So how many of you were here last week and you heard what we were talking about, okay? How many of you were here last week and you were really nervous you were going to have to take your shoes off, okay? <laughs> Some of you were, right? Uh, was anybody, did anybody legitimately think Travis was going to wash some feet up here? Nobody? I don't know. I know Travis, and to me, that'd be a 50-50 proposition. Like, he might actually do this. Was anyone disappointed? Okay, he's going to be at the back. He's going to be at the back table with a bucket and some water, and you guys can go get your feet washed. That's a complete lie, by the way. I'd hate to find somebody back there later on being like, I'm just waiting for Travis. He never showed up. But we come in in the middle of a thought. Last week, Jesus was talking about being a servant. And he set an example of how to be a servant. And he said, here, watch what I'm doing. And this is what I want you to do. And then he qualifies it with this statement here. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus is talking about serving, but he qualifies a statement and he says, I know not all of you are going to do this. And when he says that, he's talking about one specific person that's in the room with him at that moment. And we all know who that is, right? What's his name? Jesus. No, close. Judas. It was Judas, right? He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Judas was going to turn him in for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus already understood that that was going to happen. In fact, he'd made lots of allusions to this before they even got to this point, where he told them, one of you, not all of you are what you seem to be. He kept letting them know over and over again, I know, I know what's going to happen. And the reason Jesus is letting them know this, letting them know this is because he wanted them to understand that he knew. He wanted them to understand that these events were not going to take him by surprise, that he wasn't going to be shocked when he found out that Judas was his betrayer, that he knew all along. And he points out this verse in Psalms. He says here, even my close friend with whom I, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And he said, this is being fulfilled right now. So Jesus is letting them know two things. One, I knew all along. And second, this was always part of the plan. Daniel wrote this verse 900 years before Jesus ever walked on this earth. And Jesus is saying, this was always the plan. I knew this would happen. Why is Jesus telling them this? Why is he letting them know that he knew? I think the reason is because he wanted them to be able to have peace. He wanted them to be able to trust in him. He wanted them to know that he knew so that they would know that he did have a plan. And that it didn't take him by surprise. He wanted them to know he wasn't shocked by these events. And that's what Jesus brings to our relationship. He settles us down. He settles us down. He brings peace into those relationships. He brings peace into our lives. These disciples, if you remember, just a few verses ago, a couple chapters away, they rode into Jerusalem to a hero's welcome. Right? Everybody's singing Jesus' praises. Hosanna to the king. They think, this is it. We've done it. He's going to go and take the throne of of Israel, and he's going to be the Messiah, and he's going to get rid of the Romans, and this is awesome. We are winning. But Jesus knows just a few hours from now, 
they're going to be thrown into total chaos. And they're going to watch something that will look like to them is a soul-crushing defeat as their Messiah dies on the cross. So before that happens, Jesus tells them, hey, I knew this was going to happen. I knew someone would betray me. This was always part of God's plan. And the reason that he did that was to show that he was in total control. He knew what was going on. And he was willing to follow God's plan through to the end, even though he knew that there was difficulty along the way, even though he knew he was going to have to endure something incredibly painful, the betrayal of a friend, death on the cross. He was willing to walk through that because he trusted in God's plan so much. In fact, it tells us very clearly in Hebrews, Jesus' thought process, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what was coming, but his trust in God's plan was so complete that he peacefully walked through that situation. That seems really impossible, doesn't it? We have trouble enough with the things we don't know, let alone the things we do. The what-ifs in life can be crippling to some of us, right? That anxiety. Do they like me? Do they not like me? Can I trust them? Can I not trust them? There's so many what-ifs in life that bring us down, that make us live in our heads instead of living in the world we live in. But God wanted these guys to know that he knew, that he had a plan because he wanted them to have the peace, the comfort of knowing God was in control. Just a few chapters from now, he expresses it really clearly in John 16. He says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The kind of peace that Jesus is offering is not a peace that's based on circumstance. We've all had great circumstances in our life, right? There's plenty of peace in that when things are going great. But how can you have peace in the middle of difficulty? How can Jesus have peace right now when he knows that the guy he's looking in the eyes of is going to turn him in? How can Jesus have peace when he knows that he's headed to the cross to be savagely beaten and hung there and left to die? Because he trusted in God's plan. And he wanted these disciples to know that he knew so that they could trust in him. And my question is, are you trusting in him? Because there's only one place we can have peace. And this verse tells us, in him we can have peace. A peace that's not based on circumstance. A peace that can be in our lives no matter what the circumstance is. First service, Cam was sitting right over here. We saw his video of his baptism. He's living this out right now. That you can have all these crazy circumstances in your life, all these bad situations, and you can walk in peace. And when you're the kind of person that can do that, and you bring that to the relationships in your life, it's so amazing, right? How many of you have those people in your life and you just think of them as your rock? No matter what the circumstance, they are at peace. They trust God. And you always lean on them. You can be that person as long as you are in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, then you can have that peace that isn't affected by circumstances. This is why he wanted them to know that he knew, so that they'd know he was in control. And that when all this chaos happened later on, they would know that he still had a plan, that he still had them, and they could have peace. Jesus settles us down. The story continues. 
After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. That word is in the Greek is terasso. It means an inner turmoil, right? He's struggling with this. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. Okay? I want you to to understand a a couple things about this. First of all, I love John. I love that John describes himself as the the apostle, or excuse me, the disciple that Jesus loved, right? If you're going to give yourself a nickname, that's the nickname to give yourself. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, But the truth is, is that is true of us. We are all the disciple that Jesus loved. We are all people that Jesus loves. So any one of us could give ourselves that nickname. Sometimes we think maybe John's a little arrogant. I think he just really understood that. So make sure that you walk around knowing that as well. You are also a person that Jesus loves. Now, what we're describing in these events, we often refer to as the Last Supper, right? And when I say the Last Supper, what's the first image that comes to your mind? Is it this one, Da Vinci's painting, right? We always think of the Last Supper. Weird that everybody's sitting on the one side of the table. I guess this is like ancient photo ops everybody got on the backside. While this painting is cool, and I do love it, It is not historically accurate. This is not what it looked like when they went to the Passover. At the Passover, they would have a table that looked like this. It was called a a triclinium. It was a three-sided table. And the reason they did it that way is people sat on the outside, and the inside was open so that servers could bring the food in and set it on the table. And when you sat here, you kind of leaned on your left side, and you used your right hand to grab the food. So everybody's kind of in a reclining position, leaning, eating the food here. Right? And we don't know where all the disciples were sitting, but we do know where one was sitting. Who was that? John, right? John was the disciple who Jesus loved. He was sitting at Jesus' side. And when he asked the question, who's going to betray you, Lord? It says he leans back, and it implies that he leans back against Jesus' chest. So if that happens, it means that John is on the direct right side of Jesus. Okay? Now, some of you are following along, and you're like, you know, I didn't really come here for the Last Supper seating chart. Um, okay. I have a point. I have a point. If this story is going to play out like it's written in these verses, then it means that if John is to the direct right of Jesus, and Jesus is able to grab the morsel and dip it and hand it to Judas, it means that Judas is to his direct left, right next to Jesus. Why is that important? Because in this culture, the host of the Passover dinner had several responsibilities. They had to secure the location where the Passover was to take place. They had to start the meal off. And they are the ones who decided where everyone sat at the table. Which means if Judas was sitting next to Jesus, it's because Jesus sat him there. Jesus sat Judas right next to him. And in this culture, that had significance. To sit next to the host of the dinner meant that you were being honored. That this host was symbolizing his friendship with you. This is the man who's going to betray Jesus. This is the man who right at this moment has 30 pieces of silver in his pocket 
because he's already been paid to do this thing. And here is Jesus dipping the morsel, offering it to Judas in friendship. But this is Jesus. He seeks us out. Make no mistake about it. There's one bad guy in this scenario, right? It's not Jesus, it's Judas. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Judas has all the wrong on his side. But who's the one initiating the process of forgiveness and reconciliation? It's Jesus. This is our example. And it's not easy. It's not easy, right? Because we live in a world where we think to ourselves, they owe me. I didn't do anything wrong. I'll wait till they say something. But some of us in this room today, we've got somebody that God continues to put on our heart and says, you need to go to them and you need to try to fix this relationship. Even though you didn't do anything wrong, even though it's not your fault, even though you didn't start it, you be the initiator. You seek them out. And the reason we do that is because that's the example we were given. Jesus looked right into the eyes of his betrayer, right up to the very time that he made a decision that couldn't be reversed, and he was still offering him friendship. He never stopped trying to reach Judas, to give him a way out, to let him accept his friendship. Jesus sought him out. So my question to you today is twofold. One is, are we making every effort to reach the loss, the people we know in our lives that don't know Jesus? Are we making the effort to be an initiator? And, I, and again, we've given lots of sermons about how to preach the gospel. I'm not telling you to go kick someone's door down and say, hey, you're listening to me today, okay? I'm telling you, are you looking for those opportunities? Are you looking for ways where you can initiate that conversation and let people know about the tremendous love and forgiveness that you've experienced? But the other thing that I'm saying to you today is those relationships in your life that are broken, that might not be broken because of you, Are you willing to be someone who seeks those people out and starts the process of forgiveness and reconciliation? Are you willing to be a person like that? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? Are you willing to bring this aspect into the relationships in your life? Because lots of times, maybe you've been the person that did the wrong thing. And what did that person do sometimes? They sit there going, you know what, I bet that person will never forgive me. I bet that person would never, ever listen to me. I'm just going to leave it alone. They want forgiveness. They want to be reconciled, but they assume that the person they did wrong has every right not to like them anymore. How, what a tremendous freeing feeling when that person comes to you and says, hey, I want to put this behind us. I want us to get back on the same page. I want to restore this relationship. You can be that person in your relationships when we follow Jesus' example of being someone who seeks people out. John adds this verse at the end. And I'm sure it's historically accurate, right? I'm sure it was actually nighttime. But I definitely see some symbolic relevance to it as well. I just want to point this out to you. After receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, that's Judas, and it was night. Don't miss this point. Judas walked away from the light of the world and he walked out into darkness. These are the choices that we have in front of us. Some of you in this room today are still sitting at the table and you don't know which direction you're going to go. 
But let me tell you, there's only darkness away from Jesus. Stay in the light. Walk in the light. So it goes on. It says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus sitting at the table, Judas is left. He turns to his remaining disciples And these are some of the last words he's going to speak to them. I want you to understand that particular part of this. Because almost always, people's last words have some significance. Especially if you know what's coming and you get to choose them like Jesus did. So he chose to give these words to his disciples as some of his very last. And he said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Now that word is actually kianos. It doesn't mean new but rather renewed because there was already a commandment to love one another. Remember when Jesus had the conversation with the the, uh, lawyer and he said, how do you sum up the law? And he said, to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So they already understood this idea. But Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a renewed commandment. I'm giving you an old commandment with a new standard. You already knew that you were supposed to love one another, but now I'm telling you, you need to love one another like I loved you. This is the new standard, not just love, but love like Jesus loved. And we are familiar with that word, agape love, that unconditional, sacrificial love. This is my commandment. If you guys are familiar with the word commandment, it doesn't mean this is optional, right? It means I need you to do this. I'm asking you to love this way. And I'm asking it for for it to be so prolific in your life that people recognize you for it. And when they see it, they recognize you're my disciple. So that's all we got to do. Have a great week. Just love. Yeah. What? God, why would you give me this commandment? I can't do that. I mean, there are people that I love that I would do anything for, right? But he's saying to love without qualification. What's the first thing you think of when somebody tells you without qualification? Qualifications, right? Like, what do you mean by that? Do you mean this? Do you mean that? Like, we try to come up with all kinds of qualifications, right? Jesus is saying this love is unconditional. It doesn't matter the response you get to this love. You're always going to give it. That sounds impossible. It doesn't sound like something I can do. And the truth is, it's not something I can do. And that's depressing, right? But then I look down a few verses and I see a name that I love, right? When you ask yourself that question, do I love like Jesus? And you see yourself coming up short. You see that you don't have what it takes. You see that you don't follow through on those things that you should. You look down a few verses and you see that name. It kind of fills your heart with a little bit of understanding. And that's Peter's name, right? Because Peter, man, we love to tease Peter. But the truth is we're all Peter to some degree, right? 
Peter was always saying the wrong thing. He was blundering through situations. He, he was, you know, cavalier when he shouldn't be. And here he is in this situation telling Jesus the kind of person that he was. Hey, I'll go with you anywhere. I'm willing to give my life for you. And I'm sure he said it with confidence, and I'm sure he was sincere. But what happened when it was time to actually put that to the test? He failed miserably. Chopped off some guy's ear. Jesus just healed it. What was that? I don't, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Then he sees that Jesus is going to get arrested. He runs away along with everyone else. He's a little braver because he shows up at the Sanhedrin watching Jesus' trial. But as soon as he gets recognized as one of Jesus' disciples, he denies that he knows him. And not just denies that he knows him. He vehemently denies that he knows him. What a blunder. Here's the man he thought he was. Lord, I'll, I'll give my life for you. Then he found out the man he really was. A coward. But you know what's amazing about Peter is when we go to the book of Acts, we see Peter standing up in front of thousands of people, delivering the gospel to them, watching 3,000 people come forward and give their lives to Christ. We see him standing up to the Sanhedrin and telling them, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what Jesus says. And then we know through history that eventually Peter did become a man that gave his life for the Lord. He thought he was that guy. But he wasn't. He wasn't that guy until Jesus made him that guy. Because Jesus sees us through. He sees us through. We're all at different levels in our life. We all have different experiences going on. We all have things that we're dealing with, struggles that we have. We all have ideals for ourselves that we do not meet. And if we're honest, it's probably most of the time. I would love to be more loving, I'd love to be a more caring person. I'd love to get it right in all my relational stuff, but I don't. I don't. And I mess up. I blow it. And Peter made a mistake, and he blew it. He made a promise he couldn't keep. In in a way, both Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus that night. We know from future verses that they both regretted it. But what we also know is only one of them repented. Only one of them repented. And Jesus knew it. He explained it in Luke. He said this to Peter before it even happened. In Luke, you can go to that verse. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus wasn't caught off guard at Jesus' betrayal. And he wasn't caught off guard by Peter's blunder. But when Peter came back to him in repentance, knowing that he was weak and asking God for strength, God shaped him into the person that he wanted to be, but that he wasn't. We all have ideals in our life, the people we want to be and we aren't. And when we trust in God, when we admit our mistakes and go to him for strength, instead of assuming that we can do it all ourselves, that's when he can shape us into those people. If you continue to try and do it on your own, then get ready for more and more and more failure. Because we don't have it within us to love like Jesus loved. We don't have it within us to be the kind of people he's asked us to be. But when we realize that, and we repent, and we come to him for strength, he can see us through 
to that place that he wanted us to be all along. He can give us the strength to make it to that place that he's designed for us to be. And I love this verse because I think it encapsulates this idea so well. Philippians 1.6. It says this. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Some of you in this room today are not the people you want to be. And you know exactly what your weakness is. My question to you is, have you taken that to God? Have you said, Lord, I'm weak here. I'm struggling here. I need your help here. That's when he can come alongside and work in your life and change you from who you are to who you want to be. To make you the kind of person he's designed you to be, that he's created you to be. Some of you are in this room today and maybe you've done a lot of bad things. Maybe you relate more to Judas in this story than anyone else. But I want you to go back to that second point we talked about. Jesus has been seeking you out. You think that Jesus isn't interested in you. It's just the exact opposite. He's been following, waiting, hoping that you would turn and recognize that he's reaching out to you. If you're here today, and you haven't taken him up on that offer, we want to give you that opportunity. We want to give you that opportunity to let Jesus forgive you, change you, renew you, and give you new life. If that's something you want today, then I want you to bow your head right now. If everybody could bow their head and close their eyes. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord, I recognize my weakness. I recognize that I've failed. I recognize I am not the person I want to be. But Jesus, I know you can make me that person. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I allow you to be my Lord. I repent of my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I want to make you my king. Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus today? If you prayed that prayer, one thing we always ask is don't walk alone. Okay? Let somebody know. There's going to be people at the connect table out there you can connect with, or you can text 94,000 and follow the prompts. We want to walk alongside you as you continue to move towards God.